Hi, and welcome to Primary Care Talks. I'm your host, Dr. Hassan Jahan. Today, I'm talking to Alex Evis from Dovetail Lab, and we're going to be talking to her about the use of blockchain in sharing patient data. Alex, thanks for joining us today. Thanks. Nice to be here. So can we kick off first by you just telling us a little bit about your background uh, and how you got to work in the healthcare sector? So um, I graduated with a, a degree in experimental psychology and my first job out of university was working for the NHS um, in Wandsworth Prison. Um, my task was to improve the mental health and well-being of, of prisoners. Um, so that was, a, that was a, an interesting start. I, I then moved um, into corporate finance um, because you can't, um, you can't save the world without money, I was told. <laughs> um, and did some really interesting work there actually around uh, the, the minutiae of people's businesses and learning how to run a business and that kind of inspired me to, to set up my own um, and I wanted to do something sort of socially rewarding was really interested in using technology for good um, so set up a business um, using Internet of Things, technology, sensors in people's homes to keep older and disabled adults um, uh, living in their own homes so they didn't have to move into institutional residential care. Um, and it was at Alcove that we did um, some work on preventing hospital readmissions um, and actually where I encountered the problem, the sort of data sharing problem, um, moving data from, from health to social care and that kind of inspired me to set up Dovetail Lab but I didn't realise quite how big a problem data sharing was sort of within the NHS. Um, I thought it was purely sort of how you get data from the NHS and, and, and use it within other organisations. So, wow, that sounds like quite a varied path or, or <laughs> t- twisted journey, really, I'd say, that you've taken to get here. But, but actually, during that, you've picked up a lot of different skills to allow you to get to this point. Um, and so you started off well as a psychologist, is that right? Yeah, I did an experimental psychology degree um, and was really interested in, in um, uh, cognition and, um, and, and well-being. It was kind of very, actually it was probably one of the, the first kind of um, sort of positive mental health projects that the NHS funded, I would have thought. Um, so that was a particular area of interest is sort of what interventions can we make to not only you know, treat people but keep people well in the first place. So, so today we're here to talk about blockchain um, and I'm intrigued as I'm sure people out there are to, to, to know more about blockchain because as I mentioned to you earlier before we started recording I've tried my best to do some research and there are so many videos on YouTube and articles on the internet trying to explain it so it gets pretty confusing. So. Could you perhaps talk us through what blockchain actually is and how it fits into what we're trying to do here, which is um, encrypt, I assume, sharing patient data? Yeah, it's, it's probably the question that I get asked the most um, uh, and probably my least favourite question, um, not only because blockchain is incredibly complicated <laughs> to explain, um, and actually the best explanation I've ever seen of it was probably well over an hour long, but also it's... a uh, it's a bit of an odd area in that we seem to be sort of obsessed with the technology rather than the benefits. I mean, so I always try and bring it back to what it's, what it's really good at because that's kind of the differentiating factor for me. Um, it's essentially a way of storing data in a distributed way rather than the central way. So the sort of traditional method is put all the data in one place. Obviously, that makes it vulnerable 
to attack. Um, but it's a kind of, it's an easier, it's a sort of hub and spoke um, mechanism. Blockchain's a bit different in that you store a whole copy of all the data across a network. So you, on, there's lots of different computers, or they call them nodes, in a network, and a whole copy of all the data is stored on, it, on every node. It's, there's very high levels of encryption, so you said, you know, there's, that, that, that is definitely a, a quality of it and what makes it, um, once data is on the blockchain, it's extremely, extremely secure. The actual term blockchain comes from, so the, a block is a sort of um, a, a set of information and all the, the nodes, all the computers on the network have to agree that that set of information is correct in order to go in the block. Um, and each block contains the whole history of the, every, all the information that was in the last block. So that's what forms the chain effectively. What it's really good at, um, because it's, it's uneditable, it's, uh, you may have heard like tamper-proof or immutable being used when referred to blockchain, is that you can't go back and edit like a normal database. So you can add to it. So if everybody agrees that there was a mistake in the last block, then you can write a new block saying there was a mistake in the last block, but you can't go back and change that four to that three, which is, which is very, very useful for health data, as you can imagine, in particular, because it's, you know, it, um, audit and accuracy of information is, is even more important than, than in any other use case, you know, I think you could argue. Um, and also because all the information is on each, uh, each node, each computer, is very, very available. So essentially it allows everybody in the network to see information that's relevant to them immediately, that audit information. So you can see in a data sharing example, you can see who accesses what data when, which starts to build the public trust and the, the, the trust that clinicians need to feel more comfortable sharing data. Thanks very much for that, that explanation. So if, if, if I understand it, I'm going to try and come at it from my non-informed layman sort of term. Yeah. Um, each data, so if, if I'm talking about a patient, for example, a patient has a care record, yeah. uh, maybe not the summary care record, but let's say the entirety of their record or all the notes that I might hold in a GP surgery, for instance. Yeah. Um, are we saying that in the future, what might happen is that whole data set combined with the hospital notes could be one set of data, and that sits on several different nodes which are scattered amongst the country for security or are different nodes, the hospital, the surgery, maybe the patient's home, maybe a community clinic, uh, and, and it's kept in places that need to access the data. And then if somebody edits the data in any one of those settings or linked to any one of those nodes, that automatically backs it up across everything else. Is, is that pretty much what it is or is that too oversimplified? Um, I think you've, you've got the essence of it. The only bit that I would say that, that where maybe the example isn't a great one is that we, we wouldn't really advocate ever for, for medical data to be stored on a blockchain. Um, actually, the main reason being that, you know, it's fine if you have a sort of a, a small piece of structured data or a clinical note, but once you start putting large files on, you put an MRI scan or, or, or an image, and then you re replicate that over tens and tens and tens of nodes potentially that you have a you have a massive storage problem for a start um, so what we actually the only information that we store on the blockchain is a is a record of um, of consent so a, a patient has given consent for their data to be shared 
um, and the from one organisation, say you as the GP, and they've said I'd like data to be shared from my GP record to my physiotherapist, um, but I only want information about that's relevant to my physiotherapist to be shared. So we store a record of that that consent, and then also an audit record of the the data exchange that happened under that consent. So you can see when the data was sent, when the data was received by which parties. So I think I'm, I'm getting more of an understanding of it now and may, perhaps the application within the NHS. In a real life scenario, um, how is this going to be a game changer for, for the NHS? So um, a lot of the problems around data sharing at the moment um, are actually there's obviously technical problems um, with sort of with legacy systems and data quality um, and standards um, not not all being uh, very modern and contemporary and sort of open at the moment um, but there's also a, a big information governance problem at the moment it's implied that if I walk into a hospital um, that I'm happy for because I'm accessing that healthcare service that I'm happy for that consultant or that surgeon to see my medical record However, if I use a digital health app to manage my type 2 diabetes or I go and see a uh, private osteopath, there, there isn't a mechanism at the moment from an information governance perspective to, to share that data um, other than sort of very lengthy data sharing agreements that you as a GP who may or may not have a good understanding of data privacy and protection regulations, GDPR, etc., um, would be expected to sign you know, quite a cumbersome legal, legal agreement with each party that you share any kind of patient data with. Um, so it's a big burden on, on you as a GP, but also then there's a, sort of, there's a burden on the patient. Um, often either the patient has no idea that data about them is being shared in a de-identified format, um, or they have to go through quite a sort of a lengthy paper-based onerous consent process um, so we're trying to sort of eliminate those those two problems and so coming back to me then as, as a real-life example you know as, as a jobbing GP you talked about GDPR sadly we're all having to become experts on GDPR rules uh, with data protection officers in place as well um, but how is this going to make life easier for me because I, I understand the the benefit to the patient in that it allows safer sharing of data um, or, or their consent in, in, in those cases but, but um, what will it do to help me? So as a GP you as a you're a data controller for primary care data um, but you don't need to have a data sharing agreement in place with another data controller if you have the consent of your patients or the data subjects consent to share that data with them. However, you'd probably, because you have high ethical standards, you'd probably want to know who your, who your patient is sharing data with or have the ability to know that. So you've got the transparency without having to do sort of cumbersome legal exercises of, of seeing which organisations and uh, when and what data your patients are choosing to share data with. So just checking with you, is this going to make more work for me in my day-to-day -day, day job? It should make less work because you should, it should significantly reduce the admin burden. So not only do you not have to, to enter into these cumbersome data sharing agreements, but you also don't have to deal, you should have to deal less with patients coming in asking for subject access requests or for reports to be filled out, etc. I'm getting more and more of an understanding of this now. Uh, so um, 
I think that patients can now access some of their summary care record and they're able to share it. Um, and the workaround we've got within the NHS now is started to have computers with software in, in say, hospital sites so they can log on to the GP system and try and access some of the care notes. So we're having to figure out a workaround. So hopefully something like blockchain technology will make that easier in the future. Um, Alex, so, so we've, we just had a little tour around your office and you've got quite a few people working over there. So could you perhaps tell us what Dovetail Lab actually does uh, day to day and what, what all of those people are, are actually working on at the moment? So we actually share an office. Um, uh, we share an office as well. We're, we're um, teamed up with Patient Access, um, which is a, um, a patient-facing application that about 8 million people in the UK use that allows you to book appointments with your GP, order repeat prescriptions, view your medical record, or certainly parts of your medical record that your GP has agreed you can see. Uh, so they're not all my employees <laughs> for a start, um, but I have a team of uh, about 12. Um, so, and we have uh, several different projects. So obviously we work on the um, data sharing technology. Um, we also work on several other re really exciting projects. One is um, called Concentric. It's a collaborative project with two surgeons um, and is around getting consent for elective surgery. Consent being broadly the, uh, <laughs> the, the, common, the common thread. And then we have another project in Northern Ireland around prescription continuity across the criminal justice system. So again, around data sharing between actually different public sector organisations um, in order to, to make sure people getting their prescriptions in, in good time. Right, so, so quite a lot of application there within the, the healthcare sector anyway. Yeah. Um, and, and so am I right in understanding then that uh, blockchain is, is almost like a, an off-the-shelf concept that anybody can use within different applications? So you're starting to realise some of those and there are other people up and down the country that are starting to exploit it in different ways? Yeah, I, th I think that's fair to say. I mean, we use actually an off-the-shelf um, IBM product called Hyperledger Fabric. Um, again, absolutely meaningless for, for most people, apart from the fact that it's, um, it's a technology that's only recently enterprise-ready, is probably what I would say. It, it's the best audit tool software in existence, in, in my view. So, Alex, I'm going to be a little bit cheeky here, and so, so I often ask cheeky questions. And so... Often when you talk about technology, when we're looking at implementation as we are with blockchain, um, we're already behind and so technology has moved on. So is, is, what's the future for blockchain? Is there something that's now replacing blockchain in the future that, that you think is going to supersede it or, or actually is this it um, and, and where do you think it's going to next? So I just think it will become a, a more adopted and, and, and less, um, it will just become entrenched where it is the best choice actually what happens when you are able to access and share data in a safe secure ethical legal compliant fashion is is the interesting thing so that's when artificial intelligence and machine learning can be applied to data set and start finding insights in fact there's a great company down the road called mendelian they look at sort of aggregate um, primary care data sets they are um, experts in rare diseases um, and they can pick up symptoms that maybe, you know, a, a, a GP wouldn't necessarily pick up because it's one in however many millions of people get this rare disease and that they can provide, you know, they don't ever see 
personal information, but they can provide the insight back to the clinician where it's re-identified, and then that information would be provided to you as a GP to have that conversation and, and move that forward in a healthcare delivery sense. I'm not, not sure whether this is sounding like I'm going to be out of a job in about five or ten years, uh, Alex. So, um, is that the future, artificial intelligence, data encryption, um, and starting to look at algorithms for uh, patient symptoms and patient care? So, so is, that, is that where we're heading, do you think? I think so, but I don't think your job is at risk. Um, I, <laughs> I think that the, the technology should be used to make clinicians' lives easier and to help them to augment their skills already. Um, I don't think we will ever rely, and I don't think we should ever rely on algorithms solely, um, but I think there is the, you know, we can only as human beings process so much information, so why shouldn't we use computers and their massive processing capabilities where they can digest, you know, sort of billions of data points to make suggestions to us, but ultimately it, it needs to be a human decision. and. I think the name is the, the the clues in the name healthcare. You know, care is probably one of the few sectors in the world that will will never ever be able to um, uh, get rid of humans, um, even with I'm sure wonderful advances in Japanese robots. <laughs> so I, I must say I'm I'm partially reassured. Um, so one last question: blockchain. Do GPs doctors need to know anything about it at all or is it just something that's going to bubble away in the background and do what it needs to yeah I would argue no um, I don't think um, I don't think anybody really needs to understand it fully I mean it's just a technology it's just a facilitator it's what it can make possible that's important um, for GPS and that's what we're um, we're hoping we're working towards is you know making technology that that empowers people and makes their their working lives easier and improves patient outcomes i can see now that this both gives patients confidence with regard to sharing their data and i think it'll make it easier for gps and particularly clinicians to understand how that data is treated um, the world of gdpr is a minefield and it's come in like a bomb over the last year and many clinicians really don't understand it so having something that gives us that security uh, and better understanding is going to be fantastic for both patients and clinicians so thank you so much for joining us um, it, it's been fascinating it really has my pleasure thanks for having us Just a quick reminder from me, if you are planning any new initiatives, please make sure that you keep within NICE guidelines.